welcome to Globally Speaking, a podcast about connecting with global audiences. Globally Speaking is designed to explore the challenges involved in breaking down language and communication barriers. Our hosts and guests, thought leaders and industry experts, discuss their experiences on a range of topics related to content, communication and customer engagement. Welcome to today's episode. Hello, everyone. And welcome to this new episode of the Globally Speaking podcast. I am Marine Esconet. I am RWS's social media manager, and I have the pleasure today to interview Cheryl Tse, who is a transcreation specialist with more than 10 years experience in the localization industry and who has worked with major brands like Sotheby's and Delivery. So today we're going to have a look at localization. We're going to talk a bit more about it and more specifically about transcreation. And we're going to try and get a better understanding of this concept, which is not always well understood in the industry. Cheryl, a warm welcome to our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. And you maybe want to start by telling us a bit more about yourself. What did you study? What has been your career path until now? In which part of the localization process are you currently specialized in? And what motivates you in your day-to-day work? Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Here is an absolute pleasure to share what I know about localization and transcreation. A brief description of myself would be that I am a marketeer who then turned transcreation specialist. I was marketing manager for the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra until 2009. And because it was a fairly small team, I was involved with everything from budgeting, PR, communication, concert promotion, all the way through to hosting post-concert media artist events. So for a few years, even after I left, if you walked into the cultural center in Hong Kong, it would be my voice saying, welcome to the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. (laughs) That's amazing, actually. Um, and localization was definitely an important part of our work there. Classic music until very recent years is mostly a Western art form. And our ongoing mission was to develop the old local audience base. Um, so of, and some, a lot of the publicity materials for any featured musicians, uh, would be in English and it would be developed with the Western classical music lovers in mind. So localization also played an important role in the success of each campaign. And then in 2009, I moved to the UK and became much more focused in transcreation and editorial work. And I would describe most of my involvement in transcreation as a sort of high-end boutique style. Uh, and to this date, all of my work have been directly with clients or in in-house roles. And nine of those years was with Sotheby's, the auction house, as a part of their marketing department. Okay. Well, that sounds amazing. That certainly sounds very broad and very artistic. Can you maybe tell us more about, you know, the localization ecosystem that you use? Um, do you use services, some tech um, in your day-to-day work? Or, you know, what are you used to using? Um, absolutely. And I would also add uh, just one quick um, new episode of my career, which is that I have, I guess, so to speak, um, a crash course in user experience, user interface, and the ecosystem of a tech org in general at Deliveroo as their first ever traditional Chinese localization specialist. 
character that is very, very tech focused, very much about the apps and about using software solutions to optimize the localization process. And that has really inspired me um, to try and understand more how technology can enhance, enhance any localization process and how really creative work and world-class technology interact and complement each other. Did you want to talk a bit more about this tech? You know, like you just mentioned the fact that um, you were happily working hands in hands with it um, and that, you know, the your last, um, like your role at Deliveroo allowed you to learn more about this. Do you want to talk a bit more about um, what you're using within the localization process? I think the, 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 the sort of tag that I use or the surface that I use really depends on from project to project and also the client. There are something that are completely straightforward, not very often in my in my life as a transgression specialist, but <laughs> them are are perfect with with how the help of some sort of cat tools and, and machine translation even. And then some of them are actually extremely low fi. And I actually still do a mock up, believe it or not, on a sheet of paper. Um, I just believe it. <laughs> I really, because I know that is actually the, the end point. You know, if something is going to, 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 uh, appear on a poster, even if it's on a computer screen, I absolutely want to know what it looks like in, in the target language. The sort of the simple end of the sex spectrum, it would be perfect for, for using machine translation, post editing, and it really frees my brain up to be more creative, to be editing and to, to analyze. And the other end is things like translating humor, poetry, idioms. Um, one example that came to mind is um, in this East London Cockney rhyming slang, when people say apples, apples and pears is a code word for stairs. That just doesn't translate because directly translating it to Chinese, it would not rhyme. Probably have lost a lot of the the nuance. Maybe, um, yeah, yeah. And I think for me, if I were going to translate it, the solution would have to depend a lot on the context and making a a judgment call on what I can retain and what is meaningful to retain. Which leads to um, another example of transcreation, I suppose, um, which is actually the Big Mac. Um, in Chinese, it's called Goi Mo Ba or Ju Wu Ba in Mandarin, which loosely translates, um, uh, the amusement, um, uh, to an enormous invincible juggernaut. Invincible. Okay. It works. You have to trust me. It works in, 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 uh, for, for the, for the Chinese context. And what I particularly like about it is, um, I guess the portion size, just to start, you know, is for the Chinese people that is enormous. Why, why are we given this enormous, you know, hamburger rather than, you know, little, little pieces of, you know, food that we're used to, little dim sum. So that, that has something to do with how it was named. Um, and what I particularly like about the name is that it somehow manages to f- sort of Without using the word Mac, it finds that mouthfeel again because the ba for me has the same audio effect as Mac in English. And that 
for me is is, is poetry. I love that sort of translation. It has like a sound that reminds you of eating kind of thing or of the the Big Mac and Gumo Ba. Um, musically, I for, you know I I can testify that it works. <laughs> okay, that's so interesting. And and what about the fact that it's enormous and if invincible? Does it you know like does it also represent something positive? Because for some, you know, for some, we could think that for some markets, it wouldn't work if it's too big, for example, or, you know, um, hey, um, I think, I think that's why I think a Big Mac with, you know, multiple, with multiple layers in the hamburger would have justified that. Yeah. That sort of slightly, it's a humorous, approach to explain how big a contrast it is compared right. to what you get in a dim sum restaurant, a, you know, crane little piece yeah. that you eat with one mouthful and eating a backpack is you, you, you open your mouth as wide as you possibly can. You take a big bite. So, um, that's why that, that example for me is, 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 is really quite, there's a lot in it. It's, it's not, I don't have to name a Big Mac every day in my work, but it just really <laughs> in my mind when Very I try to what creation yeah. is. Um, and actually, I have just to um, add another example is that in Hong Kong they have um, a equivalent of an oyster card in London, so it's a card that you can use prepaid and you can use it throughout the public transport system. Okay, it is an octopus card. Octopus card. Octopus <laughs> <In> cards. <laughs> because it had it had eight arms. Right. And then um in Chinese it's called Ba Da Tong, which is a composite word quoting a Chinese idiom that means Lucy, you can translate it to reaching four corners and eight directions. So by having two complete like on paper, the two names are completely different. But actually, they have both shared that that the sense that that it's the number eight that connects the Chinese and the English. That it is, it is something that that that, that takes you everywhere. <laughs> I love it. I I find it very, you know, it it's a, it it says it all. If you get the context, it's amazing. It's like an amazing. Um, name for the card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those are the sort of translation that, um, well, that would firmly sit in transcreation and there's only so much machine translation can do of in course. those places. Uh, but, and most of my projects would be sitting somewhere between the two extreme. So sometimes you would having a turn base is life saving. Just imagine the number of classical music composers um, that the name has been translated in three completely different ways in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and mainland China. So having that on a term base yeah. <laughs> is a lightsaber. And, you know, then translation memory can also recur as much as um, I think art critics would like to think that they never say the same thing twice. They, it's still really relevant to see how those descriptions has been used in a previous essay or a previous description. Even if I don't copy it word for word, it just it is sort of giving my brain a little boost when I have to cover, you know, not just one specialization 
one subject uh, in one department as other bees, but multiple. And each of them are extremely particular. And then um, I actually really, I was delighted to find out. Um, actually, I only started after I joined Deliveroo, but machine translation post-editing is a lot of fun. It is. It is. Um, like... Go for it. <laughs> well, can... yeah, um, because I think for me that almost has a the opportunity to really think about my own writing style and how that may or may not be be what the machine would would do. And then I think in Chinese machine translation, there's a big piece to uh, to work on, which is the syntax. I think in okay. European languages, the syntaxes are not quite so different. And I have heard that if it is between English and Japanese, it's hugely different. And I think Chinese is still fairly... So the post-editing, for me, it is very satisfying to sort of see, right, so that is that is sort of somewhat of the English syntax. And let me transform it back into authentic Chinese. It's impressive. It's actually impressive. I also, I, I love working with a uh, machine translation just because sometimes it also comes up with things that you wouldn't have thought of or that, you know, it allows you to be creative. This is how I feel about it. It's like sometimes it just presents you, it presents you the phrase in another light and you would probably not have come up with it yourself, but then you're like, Oh, I like that. Let's just make it, you know, turn it around a little. And at the end, I think it makes the text richer. For sure. And imagine the horror or the lack of horror when I know that I will not ever miss a zero of say, um, piece of uh, artwork that we are auctioning. <laughs> Cause that, that, that is another brilliant thing about machine translation. They are so dependable when they are converting figures and numbers and they, yeah, yeah. So, names. <laughs> yes, um, there were yeah. some good examples yeah. um, in the past. Actually, there were some really good examples about machine translation mistakes when it comes to translating people's names. Um, I can't remember exactly the story, but it was basically the name of a president that had been literally translated so mr let's say potato um you know rather than his name in in chinese and that that has been obviously it became viral and everyone talked about it and how you know machine translation could be amazing could have amazing results but could also completely produce something that is out of context and you know because they don't have this they don't have the intelligence you know um or the emotional part so it's it's um it's a, like I I really really like this topic and I I think we could talk about it for hours right we're both very passionate um yes. do you have maybe maybe we can kind of talk you know a bit more about some examples of those challenges in relation with machine translation or not but uh what you know do you have any anecdotes of problems you've had um that you were glad to overcome overcome sorry and what keeps you awake at night when it comes to translation and tra and localization and transcreation yeah um i don't have a grand a many granular examples of things that can go wrong in machine translation and as as entertaining as that is i think for me it will 100% get there. Eventually, machine translation will get better and better. And um, I think for me, 
what truly concerns me, or it, it is an ongoing piece of work, uh, an ongoing struggle almost, um, is to, to for, for trans creation and localization um, as a concept to be more widely understood in the mainstream business world. I think um, most commonly, unless someone has been deeply involved in in trans creation, they would assume that translation and localization is not as complex as, say, copywriting. And often it would be left uh, at the last minute or the end of a project life cycle when there's there won't be enough time to fix any issues that were missed in the design phase. So it felt like a compromise. Um, so I think that is true. Yeah. My sort of long term sort of challenge it's like the last day most people say as the last step something that can be done quickly before actually you know launching um whereas it should be maybe you know approached a bit earlier in the in the process yes and um when we talk about the sort of different aspects of localization then that would become more apparent what i mean by that i think what I would like to achieve um, ultimately is to build a collaborative relationship that a company can trust their service provider will go to them for additional insights whenever it's necessary. And that also, in return, the company is actually prepared to spend time giving those external insights when they are being asked. And that that would build a competency Either within a company or or or, or with a, a external provider. So, um, for me, that is that is the main sort of I think recurring theme that I will probably come back to over and over again. Um, uh, in the podcast, and I think I by quality translation or transcreation. I don't mean always mean there's just one fixing. For example, Maria Chanel has a brilliant podcast and she talks about how different types of content has different emphasis and I 100% agree with that as well. Um, but all of that decisions to choose what to focus on is also part of that collaboration. Um, it is. And, and having a, a close relationship with your, your language service provider, it's like having them you know, close to your team. It's like part of the team. It should be at the end of the day, you know, as, um, as members of your team. And they, I think, yeah, I think you're right in the sense that it's sometimes considered as the last, the last thing to do. Um, whereas it should maybe just be, or it should, it's not maybe should be included in the process and, and the content should in, in fact be created with a, a localization in mind, you know, so that's starting from the v- very early stage. Um, I also wanted to ask you when we think of localization, we automatically and immediately think of language, you know, how to translate words, sentences, text. But localization means much more than this. Do you have any examples for this? Yes. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> we need a whole uh, <laughs> a whole season. <laughs> um, why? Um I guess just to to as a beginning point, I would um encourage business to look at localization in, in, in broadly. So it is really any and every aspect of taking a product from one market to another. 
to give some examples, the cultural aspects could be um, in China, the number four is associated with death, so bad luck. And then the number eight is associated with wealth. So if a company um, wants to, they would immediately sound much more local if their special offer is priced at $88 rather than 99 because 99 that's is neutral and that's very common, I think, in yeah. the West to, to sort of price something that's below 100 But in Hong Kong or in China, then you will probably see a lot more at 88 But okay. I guess the second question is, do they truly want to sound very local or as local as that? Um and that would be the next question to understand how they want to position themselves. Um, if a, it's a, let's say if it is a, uh, French fashion brand. So they right. will still want to present themselves as, as, as a French as brand. French, and, yeah. You know, fashion inspired in, in, in that, that environment and culture. So they may not go for the 88. And would that be okay, actually, to be using the 99 or bec like, because people have in mind that as it's a foreign brand, therefore the 99 feels right? Is that correct to say? Okay. I think there is a, that's, that's exactly what it is. There is some neutral territory. There okay. is the, if 88, everybody smiles. Um, so if you ever give a pedal to a, um, a client, a Sotheby's, go for the eight, eight and eight. They will smile okay. at you and think that they will be very lucky and bid something for nothing. If you okay. give them a 44, they will frown and they will probably ask for a different one. <laughs> because that's, that that's really funny. There's yeah. like the red zone, which is like 44444. <laughs> Please don't do that. The, the sort of happy but quite local um, sort of option, which is the 888 or 868. And then 99 is still fine. And but that's exactly what I mean, sort of having to look at something holistically to say which bit do I want to translate and sound very local and which bit do I want to retain a little bit of the the brand flavor even if it means we don't try to be as local as they knew they could right there was also something with color wasn't it that you mentioned <laughs> uh, I do you want to talk about this one <laughs> And that, that would also be, um, something that is quite an open to interpretation brief. Um, so in China, red is usually considered a very lucky color. Red, and yeah. Red okay. and gold together, even luckier. Um, and, but very strangely, if you're ready for this, a woman dressed in a bright red dress with no other color, long straight back, black hair, maybe high heels, maybe bare feet, is a classic image of a very unhappy ghost who died of All suicide. Right. Wow. Okay. Cause. Um, and that would, that is a sort of more, a sort of extreme example of what would still absolutely be, be, be the, be, be, be um, a part of localization is to, is to avoid those, those, those un, un, unfortunate sort of accidents. Yeah. That's certainly not something that can be fixed at the last minute. That's true. Of, and of this is why you need uh, someone who knows the mm. the culture, right? <laughs> Otherwise yeah. you don't you have no way of knowing, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because it's not saying that red is bad or a red dress will never sell, will sell right. brilliantly well in China. It's about mm. how that sits within the context of what you're trying to communicate. And then one last thing I can think of, and certainly with the latest developments of technology, you know, like the when we think of uh, of augmented reality, for example, and voices, how you know this is also another thing to another aspect to be taken that you have to take into consideration when localizing because a voice, a certain voice won't have the same impact on, on the same audience. Um, so this is also part of the process of localizing. Yeah. I think you've got it just, you know, trying to think of, think of sort of the impact that you want rather than a like for like voice artist. Um, that's also very important. Um, And there are things such as um, sort of more straightforward, but you still need to get them right, like postcodes, area codes. Um, does your market know what they are and, and sort of formatting them correctly, currencies? Um, so those bits are relatively straightforward, but something to keep in mind. Um, there's also one point that I would really like to, 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 to sort of highlight which is um actually going back to the language that okay. often it is seen sort of assumed that if you translate word for word correctly then that's the job's done but actually one example i can i can sort of provide is let's say in the uk there is an international student service provider and they are trying to have a campaign that targets students coming from other countries including china Right. Um, and they, they, maybe they have a slogan to say, uh, you know, perfect service. The specialist in, interna in international service, uh, international student service. And by translating that statement verbatim into Chinese, and then suddenly the perspective is shifted. Okay. Um, the question is, who are these international students? If they translate it, take it and put it in a Chinese publication, Then a Chinese student would read, oh, international students, um, in the head, they probably have, you know, maybe Tom Holland in Spider-Man in their head or <laughs> in, in Harry Potter. <laughs> or they think, oh, oh, so that's a service for them. They would have no idea that they're talking they about. They don't feel like it's for them, right? They don't feel like it's, yeah, they, being, it's a complete yeah. confusion. Yeah. Yeah, this is typically the kind of examples where transcreation takes all of its meaning, right? It's about taking a message and just creating it again by making sure that, and there are so many elements to take into account. You cannot just go from English to Chinese. You know, it's, it would never work. You have to recreate it from scratch, taking, taking the original as a context kind of thing, but not more, right? Um, Yeah. I think it's always about thinking what you want to achieve and then yeah. how that would be achieved in a different language and in a different yeah. context yeah. rather than sort of being really fixated on, on the, the wordings that yeah, was exactly. created with, with a different audience in mind. Um, so that's sort of neatly bring back to, I'm afraid I might come back to this point several more times, which is that localization <laughs> is Uh, in ideally something that would be considered not always with the same, um, same sort of hyper focus, but would throughout a project life cycle and not an afterthought. Um, 
I think maybe one way to to look at it is to say, um, what are the parallels between localization and other considerations such as sustainability, diversity, equity, inclusion, and all those things will also be better considered earlier rather than later in in exactly in, in the process. And, and you just mentioned. Um... You know, you just mentioned some hot topics at the industry at the moment. Do you want to maybe go deeper in one of them? Like, do you see, what do you see as hot topics at the moment? Um, you mentioned the inclusive language, maybe, you know, that's something that could you all, can you also see it becoming like more and more of a, of something that people want to see in their campaigns? Yeah. I think for me, I would, um, Maybe just mention two. One is the yes inclusive language. Um, and I think by good luck, some of those issues do not apply. Uh, we don't, we don't have a gender for, for physical objects. Right. Uh, there are situations that does, you know, pronouns for people. Um, so okay. for sure there is, there's work that needs to be done. Um, but I think also it needs more than a few companies uh, or pioneering publications to all be on board yeah. for, 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 for that movement to gain traction. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a process, isn't it? Yeah. It needs to start somewhere. And then, you know, if everyone sees the need in it, because actually language, language also shapes the way we think, right? So by seeing more and more, um, it's it's basically the the same thing for every change at the end. Yeah. You know, it starts with a little bit and then it progresses if people see the need in the in in it. Yeah, yeah, and it's an it's an organic process. You know, it, it is start with just a really impactful campaign, and then suddenly people start sort of reflecting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sometimes it is just tiny little bits of work every day until it gets there. Um, okay. So hopefully all of those as an ecosystem. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's certainly, certainly going to happen. I think it's just, I think different, probably still different markets will be coming at it at a different speed. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other topic that I did want to mention is, um, I think it would be, it would not be right to not talk about AI. Yes. Though, <laughs> I realize, um, all I can say is that I discovered it fairly late in the game. Um, I think I started my translation journey when Google Translate was an utter nightmare. <laughs> um, but a lot has changed since those 10 years. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. The sideline over the years. And now I, I, I'm really excited. I think the more technology can take away some of the heavy lifting from a human mind, oh, yeah, the more space it frees up for our mind to to be creative and to really do what I have always, you know, I've been sort of, you know, repeating myself a bit, which is to consider localization as a discipline that requires, you know, research skills, imagination, mm -hmm. problem solving understanding the target customers actually not unlike marketing or design um and and those we will be better placed to do if machine has done the the the, the, the first yeah, yeah the heavy work <laughs> i find myself quite 
like in French, we have this um, expression that says um, the syndrome of the blank page. I mean, I don't know if you, you know, if it's something in, in other languages too, but with artificial intelligence, I'm so, I, I'm pro, like, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that this helps me every time. I'm, I'm never like 10 minutes in front of a white blank page being like, how do I start? You know, it just doesn't happen. It helps me gathering at least like a starting point, you know? Um, so yeah, very, very hot topic at the moment. Uh, definitely gonna evolve in a, in a lot of different and nice ways, I think, in the future. So. I think, have a lot. Sorry. I think post editing is a skill is is a skill for sure. Mm-hmm. Um it's just whether we see the AI as our actually our, our partner. You know, exactly. the more we use it, the more we can anticipate where they are going to make mistakes. A lot yeah. like our partners. <laughs> the, more we, the more we realize, you know, oh yes, uh I'm terrible at leaving my my, my, my shoes everywhere. <laughs> So my partner knows. Um, and he will. <laughs> <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> and he will be. You know, I think in Chinese, uh, English machine translation will always get some bits of that syntax wrong. And then when I see it, I'll be like, it's okay. I'm ready for you. Let me just switch you around. And then you look perfect. I think, of course, the, some positions are going to change, but hasn't they always been changing, you know, since ever? Um, of course, we're in a, in this kind of period of time where a lot is changing. So we need to be quite flexible and ready to adapt to new things. But I also think it can bring a lot of good, good, um, you know, aspects with it. So let's wait and see how it evolves. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you too, uh, because we conducted uh, research lately and we have some stats um, that we managed to, you know, to gather from this research. And uh, maybe you can kind of give your opinion on some of those. For example, um, a third of the world's websites are in English, right? And yet only 5% of the world speaks English na- natively. <laughs> do you do you agree that brands still assume somehow that the world, the internet speaks their language? I'm talking about English-speaking brands, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. I suppose you know, maybe thirty years ago, yes. Um, but I think for me, the awareness is very much there already that other languages are required. But I think next step is to say, do they understand the cultural differences? And yeah. that would be that would make it really meaningful. The 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 sort of this piece about unlocking global understanding as that is that is a, a a wonderful mission that RWS is in the position to do. Um and actually for what it's worth, I don't think it's automatically a problem to not translate okay. the language. Okay. Um, you know, like the the sort of French fashion brand example that we, we talked about earlier. Um what do they want to translate? What they need to be clear why do they want to translate those content? Um, you know, Starbucks, for example, in Hong Kong uses its brand name almost interchangeably. So okay. sometimes it's Starbucks, sometimes it is Singba Ha. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it, it is, they, they do sort of do it case by case and some of it is, partially to do with Hong Kong being a former colony. So it has always had a huge appetite for 
for for for for English speaking sort of, you know content and sort of exactly culture in general. Um, that I remember, I grew up in a time when um, actually we used to see all the fashion models who were not at all uh, Asian, <laughs> and okay. and then we seen that. Oh, so they are selling, they would just be happy about it. They, you know, people would just look at it and say, right. So they are selling a, a, a American product or a, a right. that's being offensive or anything like that. Everything has changed. And, you know, there's, there's a very different approach to, to localization in that sense as well. And then going back to the thing about, for, for example, casting the right models, you know, yeah. and, it could backfire if a a model is ethnically Chinese, but actually the Chinese audience doesn't relate to them, or something just doesn't sync up because it is meant to be a a a um sort of a very young brand um or a, a, the product targets young people, and you found someone or the company has found someone who looks like a scholar. <laughs> Actually, you know, in that case, you know, if there is no budget to cast properly, is it actually better to keep that in 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 the original? You know, the same with voiceover. You know, you know, if your real artist is the only person you have, or one of the two choices you've got, uh, is it automatically better than 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 having that in subtitles and leaving the 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 the, the voice in English so people can actually get the flavor of it? You yeah, know, that's a very good point. And there's yeah. clarity in making that choice as long as that choice yeah. is made not by accident. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's really that's really interesting. Um another one. Our our research also indicates that eighty-eight percent of global respondents agree that it's important for global brands to show their um that they understand their customers' individual culture, right? Not only from, from the country, but who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. So clearly our culture is important to all of us. Um, what does unlocking global understanding mean to you as a localization specialist? You mentioned it earlier. Um, how does a business unlock global understanding with its customers? Mm-hmm. This is where I read my, read my, uh, manifesto. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for me, I think unlocking global understanding would involve companies embracing the localization process that covers all the key aspects that we just discussed, culture, symbols, um, context, especially, um, and that it is not, localization is not seen as a linear process, but rather a specialization that requires insights, imagination, creative problem solving. I guess a cultural experience designer of a sort um, I think with, if the company is, is able to put a team together to approach localization that way, then, then the customers will understand them and then the customers through that, that core team that either is a brilliant external partner or an internal team. Mm-hmm. That might be the key. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you were to give one piece of advice, to mm. any business looking to go global, enter new mm. markets, what would it be? You know, if you could just give one, your, your most important view on, on this. Um, uh, I, I would say 
don't try to force yourself to understand a whole new culture within a month or even a year. Um, but do engage a team that has that cultural expertise and build a collaborative relationship. If the team is external or a collaborative culture, if the team is internal, with a common vision to unlock that global understanding that we talked about through intelligent and high standard localization. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your nice words. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll say um, see you next month for the ne next podcast. Have a good day, all. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you, Cheryl. 